Some of you will have come here tonight precisely because this is a healing service. So that may well mean that you've come tonight because you've got some particular need in your life. It may be a physical issue. It could be a mental health problem like depression. Or you may be here because your situation or your circumstances in life are causing you some stress or anxiety. Or because you're facing problems that are weighing you down and you just can't see any way out of what's happening to you right now. Or it may be a concern for someone else that brings you here tonight. A partner, a friend, a family member, somebody for whom you want prayers to be offered. But whatever brings you here tonight, let me ask you this. How do you come? I don't mean by tube or bus or taxi or... I mean, in what spirit do you come? How do you approach God in your need? Do you come to a service like this reluctantly with some sense of uncertainty? Or do you come in strong expectation of healing? Are you simply here tonight because you think I might as well give it a try? Or for you is tonight part of an ongoing process of receiving healing from God? You're here tonight because God has met with you and given you healing in the past. How we come to God for healing is, I think, important. Because, you see, sometimes all manner of things can get in the way of our healing. Some of which we may not be altogether aware of. But yet, in a strange way, these same factors that may stand in the way of our healing can also, if turned around, be factors that actually contribute to our healing from God if they're handled differently. Let me try to explain from this incident that we've just heard read from Matthew's Gospel. There we find a Roman centurion coming up to Jesus to ask for healing. Not healing for himself, but for his servant, who he says is lying at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. From this story, it seems to me that three factors stand out which contribute to the servant's healing. But equally, if things had worked out differently or attitudes on the part of the centurion had been different, those same three factors could actually have prevented his healing from taking place. And the first of these three factors is to do with unworthiness. Jesus, you notice, offers to go and cure the centurion's servant. But the centurion isn't keen for Jesus to take that course of action. Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, the centurion replies. 
Now, I find this a really quite remarkable response from a middle-ranking Roman soldier of the time. Remember, this man is part of the occupying army in Israel. Jesus is one of the subjects of that occupied country over which he is helping to rule. You might therefore have expected that the centurion would have felt Jesus to be unworthy of coming to his home and that Jesus would have gone there under duress by order of a representative of this occupying power. But no, it's as if the centurion appreciates and respects the cultural and racial distinction between Jews and Gentiles. He would know that in the eyes of a Jew, and especially a rabbi like Jesus, Gentiles were regarded as inferior people, and that entering the house of a Gentile would religiously defile an observant Jew like Jesus. Not that Jesus allows such scruples to stand in the way of his advancing God's kingdom and bringing healing to the paralyzed servant. I will come and cure him, Jesus says, without hesitation. But though the centurion feels unworthy to have Jesus come under his roof, it does not stop him from asking Jesus to heal his servant. So to what extent, I wonder, is unworthiness an issue for you and for me when we seek help and healing from God? To what extent does it hold you and me back from asking? Perhaps thoughts like these might come into your mind. Oh, I'm not good enough for God to heal me. Oh, God won't be bothered with the likes of me and my trivial problems. He's got more important things to bother him. No, I've done far too many wrong things in my life for God to want to heal me. Now, when we think like that, what we're doing is actually bringing God down to our human way of thinking and behaving. We make God think as we do. But God tells us in Scripture that God's ways are far higher than our ways. Unlike us, God doesn't bear grudges. God doesn't seek to exact payback on us for wrongs committed. Nor does God regard us as being too important, too unimportant for his consideration. God is love. And everything that God is and everything that God does is motivated by love. The writer on spirituality, Father Richard Rohr, says this, God loves you not because you are good. God loves you because God is good. That gives me a great deal of encouragement. God never sees anyone as being unworthy of God's love, grace, healing, or forgiveness. So what I would say to you tonight is, don't let any issue about your sense of unworthiness get in the way of you asking for God's healing love in your life.
What's the second factor? Well, the second factor from this incident centers upon authority. The centurion, feeling unworthy of having Jesus come under his roof, suggests an alternative course of action out of sensitivity to Jesus. Only say the word, he says, and my servant will be healed. This suggestion is for the centurion based on the soldier's understanding of authority. In his professional role, he both takes and gives orders, being under authority himself and having soldiers under his authority. And that authority would extend to his servant, with whose welfare the centurion seems to be unusually concerned for a man of his position and standing. And it's obvious that the centurion views Jesus as a man of authority too. Just as he, a centurion, would exert power over other soldiers, so he sees that Jesus has a power to heal. And perhaps in a way that had brought Jesus not only a reputation for healing, but also given him an authoritativeness as a man of God. So, for the centurion, all Jesus has to do is say the word, give the command, say the word, and the servant will be healed. Jesus, he knows, does not even need to be with his servant. Jesus' command in the spiritual realm is regarded by the centurion as being just as powerful and authoritative as his own command in the military sphere. So, for me, and maybe for you, that begs the question, what authority do we see in Jesus? What power do we believe Jesus can exercise in our lives or those of others for whom we want to pray? The more we recognize such authority and power in Jesus as the Son of God, the more likely we are, I think, to experience the power to heal in our own lives. And one final footnote about this point on authority. You'll notice from the Gospels, if you read on in Matthew and again in Luke, that when Jesus commissioned his disciples and followers to proclaim the kingdom of God, he gave them authority. He gave them authority to do what he wanted them to do in his name. And the authority that he gave to them was the authority to heal and to cast out demons. I believe that Jesus still confers that same authority on those he calls today to healing ministry. Those the church appoints to exercise that ministry within the life of the church. And therefore, as you come tonight to members of our healing team seeking for prayer, seeking for healing, come knowing that those are ministering to you, praying for you with an authority given them not just by the church, 
but an authority that is also given to them by Jesus because they are disciples and followers of Jesus, sent and commissioned by Jesus for this ministry here tonight. So then, unworthiness, authority. The third factor is faith. When the centurion acknowledges the authority of Jesus and tells him, only say the word and my servant will be healed, what he's doing is demonstrating faith in Jesus. Jesus is quick to recognize the part that the centurion's faith has played in the healing of the servant. Let it be done for you according to your faith, Jesus tells him. And then Matthew adds, and the servant was healed in that hour. But what's important is that we need to be very clear about what kind of role faith has here in healing. Over the years, I've been called many things. I'm not going into that. But one of the things that I've been called is a faith healer. And when that's happened, I've always immediately corrected the person who's tried to put that label on me. I've taken off the label and said, no, I'm not a faith healer. I'm a Christian healer. I offer healing in the name of Jesus Christ. He is the one who does the healing. It is by his grace and his grace alone that healing is given. It is not through my faith that I give healing to you. It's by grace alone. All healing is an act of God's grace and anyone engaged in healing ministry, such as members of our healing prayer team here tonight, are merely vessels, channels of God's healing grace, which flows through them to you. But faith plays an important part in assisting the flow of God's healing grace. Imagine, if you will, water being channeled along a canal. When that stretch of water reaches a set of locks, it comes up against an obstacle in its path or flow. The water is held back by the lock gates. It's only when those gates are opened that then the water can start to flow again. I think it's rather like that with God's grace and our faith. Faith is what opens the lock gates to allow God's grace to flow. Where God's healing comes up against the closed gates of closed minds and unbelief, it's very hard for healing to be channeled where God intends it to go. Even Jesus found this to be true in his own ministry. In his hometown of Nazareth, he found such a lack of faith or belief in him that Mark tells us he could do no deed of power there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he was amazed, Mark says, at their unbelief. In Nazareth, Jesus looked in vain for the faith that he found in a Gentile Roman centurion. Perhaps mindful of such negative reactions among his own people, Jesus told those who had followed him and witnessed the encounter with the centurion, truly I tell you, in no one in Israel 
Have I found such faith as in this Roman soldier? Now, what did Jesus mean here by faith? Well, clearly he isn't talking about religious beliefs or, or propositions of faith. Because a Roman centurion wasn't a believer in the Jewish faith, as the people of Nazareth would have been. I think what Jesus recognized and welcomed as faith in the centurion was a spirit of openness and trust in who Jesus was. Something that was patently lacking in Nazareth, his hometown of all places. Jesus even goes on to suggest that the kind of faith displayed by the centurion is more likely to get him into the kingdom of heaven where he'll sit and eat with, notice, the greats of the Jewish faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, than the faith of those who use their Jewish religious heritage to claim priority in God's kingdom over Gentile unbelievers. So what about your faith as you come for healing? I'm not asking about how often you go to church. I'm not asking about how often you say your prayers. I'm not asking about what you believe or what you read in the Bible or what you think about what the church teaches. No, I'm asking simply if you're open to Jesus healing you. That's all. Are you open to Jesus healing you? And if so, rather, as with a doctor, how much do you trust him to make a difference in your life? Does your faith open the locked gates to allow God's grace to flow? Or does a lack of faith act as a kind of barrier to the flow of God's healing love? So then, a healing story about a Roman centurion servant that offers three factors or perspectives on how we approach God for healing. Do you come feeling unworthy of God's healing in your life? Not sure, a bit uncertain? Do you come recognizing the authority of Jesus and his power to bring healing into your life and the lives of others? Do you come in a spirit of faith, a spirit of openness and trust in Jesus and what he can do for you and for others? Let me encourage you to come tonight in this attitude of mind and spirit. Know that God loves you far more than you can ever possibly imagine and sees you worthy of healing no matter what you think about yourself or no matter what you've done in the past. Secondly, see Jesus as Lord, Savior, and healer who has all authority and power in heaven and on earth. And thirdly, trust in Jesus and place your faith in him, however small that faith may be, Jesus said it needs only to be as large as a tiny mustard seed. The important thing is placing a small bit of faith in a great God. Come in this way and just say the word.
find in Jesus the healing that he wants for your life and for the lives of others too. And don't let anything stand in the way of it. Amen.